Gracious God, thank you for this opportunity to declare truth. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in using me as your instrument to proclaim your truth. And Father, may it be worship for me from my heart to do this very thing, to serve you in this way. And Father, for your, your people that are here, may they be active listeners, listening with their ears. Lord God, work in their hearts so that they receive this truth by faith. And Lord, help us all to uh, step out on faith and operate according to your word in these ways. Father, so that we help each other follow Jesus with more devotion, so that we obey the one another commandments, Lord, and uh, in community seek to stimulate one another for love and good deeds, as the author of Hebrews says. Father, thank you for this opportunity yet again. And uh, we love you. Help us to love you more. May this be a means to that end. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Okay, so uh, let's do a little review before we jump into the new material for the morning. We've been discussing discipleship, uh, three key ingredients, okay, three key ingredients for discipleship within the local church, and these are instruction, affection, and today we're talking about imitation, okay, instruction, affection, and today finally we'll talk about imitation. Now this comes... um, this is building on top of a series that I did last fall on discipleship and how we talked about the purpose of discipleship uh, being to help each other follow Jesus Christ with more devotion. But discipleship should be aimed at the whole person, right? And the whole person discipleship involves the four H's, right? Heart, head, hands, and home. Heart being our, our affections, our emotions, our will. Head being thinking biblically, right? According to the word of God. Hands is just uh, application of the truth of God's word in everyday life. And home is just a synonym for the people of God, the, the local church, right? Because uh, we are the household of faith, Paul says. And so for the household of faith, the family of God, then we need to be using our gifts, our abilities to serve the church and serve one another as we seek to help one another grow and change and become more like Christ. So this, is, this series on instruction, affection, imitation is built on top of that previous series. Uh, it's on our app. It's also on the website. If you want to catch up, you didn't listen to that series back in the fall, you can uh, check that out and listen to get a better idea of what we're talking about here. Okay, so let's talk about imitation. If we're going to help each other follow Jesus Christ more devotedly, then not only do we need to instruct one another in in the word of God, and we need to instruct one another or speak the truth to one another in love, I would say that's affection. We talked about 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, and all the different facets of love that are mentioned there. So we need to instruct each other. We need to instruct each other in love, affection. But we also need to imitate one another as we are imitating Christ. We should seek to follow good examples and be examples ourselves to imitate, okay? So um, let's just give a definition here. It's pretty easy. Imitation means to copy, to act like someone else, right? Easy enough. To copy or to act like someone else. We actually get the, uh, the Greek word for imitate, which is memeomai in the New Testament, it's where we get the word, what, what would you think? Mimic, right? That's right. We get the word mimic from mimeomai. So 
We are seeking to copy, to mimic, to, to do what other believers are doing as they are obeying the word of God and um, following in the footsteps of Jesus. And we need to seek to be those examples, examples ourselves as we are following after Jesus. Now, um, let's look at John 13 for a moment. We'll see that Jesus really set this pattern of imitation for us whenever he was here on earth. John 13, verse 34. And this is, this is not the, the only time we see this happen in the Gospels. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as, right? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another, right? Just as I have loved you. So he's setting an example. He's saying, you need to be like me. Right? And we'll, we'll talk about earlier in the chapter when he, he, he talks in more depth about that. And we can, we can follow that out. We'll look at that in a few minutes. But he's saying, do what I do. I have done this to you. Do what I have done to you to each other. Right? Be like me. He is setting an example. And so he's, he's set this pattern for imitation. Now, if we're talking about imitation, we've got to ask the question, who should we imitate? Who should we imitate? Well, first of all, um, let's turn to another uh, text of Scripture. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Who are we to imitate? Look at this. Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. First and foremost, we should be seeking to imitate God. We should be seeking to imitate God and Jesus Christ according to this scripture, right? Be imitators of God. When we're imitating Christ, imitate him as he loved as he gave himself up for the church as a fragrant aroma and sacrifice to God. First and foremost, we are imitators of him, our God who made us. We have the capacity to imitate him, don't we? Because uh, he made us in his image. We have the capacity to love. We have the capacity to seek justice, to think, to reason, right? to have compassion, to show mercy. We have those capacities. He has given us the ability to mimic him, to imitate him as people who are made in his image. And now that we have our new nature, now that we are new creatures in Christ, we have the desire to do that. We have new desires, so we want to imitate him. We want to to be like our God. We want to be like Jesus, whereas before, we just wanted to get everything we could for ourselves, or we were living life for us, selfishly, Now we have a new heart with new desires. And not only do we have abilities to be like him and to image forth his character, but now we have the desire to do so, the drive, the motivation, the incentive. Okay, so we are first and foremost to imitate God and Jesus Christ. Now look look at another text of scripture with me. Uh, We're still answering the question, who should we imitate? But turn to 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and we'll go through chapter 11, verse 1. Who else should we imitate? 
Okay. This is what Paul writes. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So who should we imitate? We should imitate those who imitate Jesus, right? Those who imitate Christ. Now, specifically, what aspect of imitating Christ do we see here in this text? You guys think. There's something he's getting at specifically about who Jesus is in this text of Scripture that's going to help us know how we should be seeking to imitate Christ and follow those who imitate him. What do you see? Russ? Seeking to help others to profit or benefit others? Absolutely. Uh, How does Paul demonstrate that in the last part of chapter 10? Right? That they may be saved, right? He, he says, I'm not seeking my own advantage. But what text of scripture in relationship to Jesus does that make you think of? What was that? Philippians 2. That's right, right? He came down. He emptied himself, right? He became a servant. He, he lived. He, he went to the cross, right? The, from, from heaven to earth to the cross, that, that whole, um, the humiliation of Christ in that text. Well, Paul is exemplifying that right here. That's how he's imitating Christ. He's not seeking his own advantage, but he's seeking the advantage of others that they may be saved. That's exactly what Jesus did. He came to seek and save the lost. And so in that text of scripture in Philippians chapter two, Paul says, consider others as more significant than yourselves in verse three. And then he says in verse five in Philippians two, have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, right? Who did not count equality with God something to be grasped. So he emptied himself, right? And so that's what Paul's doing. And so he can, he can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ because he's not seeking his own advantage, but like Jesus, he's humbling himself so other people will be benefited, so other people will be saved, right? And he's seeking to please them in that way. It's the right kind of people pleasing, where you're seeking to please them but not for your own advantage, right? So we should be imitating those who imitate Jesus. Now this distinction, it's important because of something else we see in a letter that Paul has written. Flip over a couple of books to Philippians. The distinction of imitating those who imitate Christ is important. and We'll find out why here in this text. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Philippians 3, 17 and 18. says, brothers, join in imitating me. He says this a lot, by the way, in the New Testament. If you're, if you're looking around at Paul's letters, he's, he talks about imitating him and, and some of his associates. He talks about this a lot. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Right? So imitate me and then keep your eyes on the other people who are, who are imitating us. Right? Why? Verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
So what's he saying? Why is it important to make the distinction of who to imitate? What do you think? That's right. There are good examples and bad examples. Right? Um, there are people that you need to follow because they're following Christ. And if God made us for his glory and he wants us to reflect his character, then we need to imitate him and, and imitate those who are imitating him. But then there are enemies of the cross of Christ. Right? Flip over to 3 John. I think this is the second week in, in a row that we've gone to 3 John. Are you guys enjoying that? Right? <laughs> Going to a book that we never go to? 3 John Verse 11, here's an imperative. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Really straightforward, right? Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. There are good and bad examples. We want to follow the examples that God has the, the example that God has set forth and the people that are following that example because obviously they're enemies of the cross. Obviously, because we live in a sinful world, there are bad examples. So, he, so we have to make these proper distinctions, right? Now, let's make an observation here. Um, you've seen children and how they, they act. Children naturally imitate, don't they? Right? Kids copy. It's very natural for them to do what their parents do, right? To copy what their parents do. And, and sometimes that works out great for us as parents. Sometimes not so great. Okay, if you're in public and, and they do something that you do, you didn't mean for them to see that, but they saw that, they do it in public, you're embarrassed, right? Um, it works out great sometimes, sometimes not so great. But they naturally, we as human beings, imitate, right? We see something, and we imitate what we see. Now, as we, we get older, we, we start to see, okay, um, it benefits me if I imitate this example. It doesn't benefit me if I imitate this example. And so we start getting discernment along the way. But we all imitate somebody, right? Uh, I imitate the people that are in my life. I seek to imitate people in my life. Sometimes I still have things that I imitate from my past. Sometimes I think, why am I doing that? I I, I probably learned that. I have a sinful nature, and I probably learned that from somebody along the way, and I've just kind of hung on to it. I mean, it it comes from my heart, but then I kind of copied somebody because I, I thought there was advantage in that. And so we are going to imitate, aren't we? We're going to imitate people that influence us. Who are we going to imitate is the question. You're going to imitate somebody. Who is it going to be? When we need to be picky about who we imitate. We need to be discerning about who we copy and mimic, right? Obviously because there are good examples and bad examples. Okay. Um, Now let's get some encouragement. To be an imitator Where are we going to find some encouragement in the scriptures? Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians 1, 6 through 7. Okay. 
Here's what Paul says about the Thessalonian church. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Okay, so you're imitating us and you're imitating the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Here's some encouragement for us as we seek to be imitators. When we imitate Christ and those who imitate him, we then become examples for others to imitate. You see that? So as you are discerning who you're going to imitate, those who imitate Christ, you're seeking to imitate God according to the word of God, and then you're going to imitate those who you believe are doing a good job of imitating Christ, then you yourselves become an example for others to imitate, right? There's this this exponential increase that takes place. If we are seeking to imitate the good examples that we should be imitating, then that makes us a good example for other people to follow so that more people will be imitating Christ and God will be getting more glory. Right? So encouragement there. You then become an example to be followed. A good example to be followed and to be imitated when you imitate the right examples. Okay. What else? Some more encouragement to be an imitator. Check this out. Let's turn back to John 13. I told you we're going to come coming back to that section of scripture. We are John 13, verses 13 through 17. What other reasons, what other encouragement is there for us to be an imitator of Christ and of those who imitate him? Here's what Jesus says in this text. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Isn't that interesting? Blessed are you if you do them. If you imitate me, if you do just as I have done, then there's blessing in imitating. Jesus, right? So there's blessing for those who imitate Jesus and his faithful followers. Now, let's, let's go to a specific blessing that we see in Philippians chapter 4, okay? So we, we, in a general sense, we're seeing, yes, there's blessing if we're going to imitate God and his faithful followers, but we find in Philippians a specific blessing that Paul's speaking of. Philippians 4, 9. what Paul says. It's the, the whole, in the context of him saying, be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he says, think on these things, whatever's honorable, whatever's of good repute. Then verse nine, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And look, the last part, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things and the God of peace will will be with you. His peaceful 
presence will be with you. You will have God. You will have his peace as you seek to imitate Paul all right, or imitate those who are imitating Christ. There's a specific example of a specific blessing to receive the, at, the attribute of God that is his peace when we seek to do this. When we seek to be imitators. Now, we should be looking for imitators. Or, I'm sorry, looking for examples to imitate. Right? Being discerning about uh, what we follow, who we follow, right? But we also need encouragement to be ourselves an example to be imitated. Right? We should all be seeking to imitate and to be an example to be imitated. Right? So, let's get some encouragement to be an example here. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Oh, I'm in 1 Timothy. No wonder it doesn't make sense. Okay. 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11. Listen to this. Uh, let me give you some context here. Uh, in, in the early part of chapter 3, he's, he's talking uh, about people. Um, he says, there's going to be those who creep into households and capture weak women. This is verse 6. Burdened with sin and led astray by various passions. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Right? He's talking about these, these, these people, this, this godlessness in the last days. And he, and he says, just as Janice and John Burris, I don't know how to pronounce that. Do you guys? I don't know. Um, opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. So he, he's, he's given some, some contrast here. There's these ungodly people in the last days. And then in verse 10, he makes a contrast when he's talking about Timothy. Paul says, you, however... Have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all the Lord rescued me. So he's saying, You have you have imitated me. There are success stories that exist. Success stories of imitation exist. And here, look at this. I, I think he's, he's so emphatic about the imitation that Timothy has brought to his life, the imitation of Paul. He says, my teaching, and not just my teaching, but my conduct, and my aim in life, the, the, what my goal is in life, right? My faith, my patience, my love. But it doesn't just stop there. Even his persecutions and sufferings. Isn't that interesting? When the heat got turned up, did, did Timothy stop imitating Paul? No, right? Things started getting hard, and it did not change the fact that Timothy still chose to imitate those who imitate Christ. And so if you think it's not going to make a difference, you know, if you want to be a good example and you think, really, I mean... America's getting worse and worse. You know, things are getting harder and harder. I don't, I don't see that this is going to be fruitful. Obviously, God chooses to use examples so that other people walk in godliness, so that other people imitate Jesus, and he uses godly people so that people walk in the truth because of their godly example. God has chosen to use this. So success stories do exist. 
So be encouraged. What else? This is, this is good. I'm going to read a blog post to you guys for the next point here. Give me some patience so I look up on Evernote this blog post. Okay. So consider this. If you've never say to a younger Christian, do you want to know how to be godly? Look at me. Do what I do. Then you are being unbiblical. Ever that feels weird to say that, doesn't it? It feels weird to say that. If you never say to anybody who's, who's maybe a, a younger Christian in the faith, do you want to see how to live a godly life? Look at me. Do what I do. Then you're being unbiblical. Now, listen to this. This is a, a blog post. This is what uh, actually comes from D.A. Carson. He's got a book called From the Resurrection to His Return, Living Faithfully in the Last Days. And this is, uh, he says practically the same thing. I just took this from him. He asks, do you ever say to a young Christian, do you want to know what Christianity is like? Watch me. If, never, if you never do this, you are unbiblical. Now, he starts quoting all the scripture texts. And I've got them right here. Look, First uh, Corinthians 4.16. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Philippians 3.17. We've already looked at a lot of these, right? Philippians 4.9. 2 Thessalonians 3.7-9. 2 Timothy 3.10-11. Right? There, there are all these scripture texts where Paul is talking about imitation. Either he's saying imitate me or he's talking about um, those who have imitated him. Okay? And so... Considering all of that, listen to this story that D.A. Carson gives. He says this. I'm just going to read this for you. He goes, as a chemistry undergraduate at McGill University with another chap. I think he's Canadian, maybe, and so that's why he says chap. I'm not sure. Um, At McGill University with another chap, I started a Bible study for unbelievers. That uh, The fellow was ungodly but very quiet. This guy who started coming to this Bible study. He's, he's, I'm sorry, the guy that was with him, I'm sorry, uh, is very godly, but very quiet and a bit withdrawn. I had the mouth, so by default, it fell on me to lead the study. The two of us did not want to be outnumbered, so initially we invited only three people, hoping that not more than two would come. Unfortunately, the first night, all three showed up, so we were outnumbered from the beginning. By week five, we had 16 people attending, and still only the initial two of us were Christians. I soon found myself out of my depth in trying to work through John's gospel with this nest of students. On many occasions, the participants asked questions I had no idea how to answer. But in the grace of God, there was a graduate student on campus whose name was Dave Ward. He had been converted quite spectacularly as a young man. He was, I suppose, what you might call a rough jewel. He was... Slap dash in your face with, not, with no tact and little polish, but he was aggressively evangelistic, powerful in his apologetics, and winningly bold. He allowed people like me to bring people to him every once in a while so that he could answer their questions, get them there, and Dave would sort them out. So it was that one night I brought two from my Bible study down to Dave. He bulldozed his way around the room, as he always did. He gave us instant coffee, then turning to the first student, asked, Why have you come? 
The student replied, well, you know, I think that university is a great time for finding out about different points of view, including different religions. So I've been reading some material on Buddhism. I've got a Hindu friend I want to question, and I should also study uh, some Islam. When this Bible study started, I thought I'd get to know a little bit more about Christianity. That's why I've come. Dave looked at him for a few moments and then said, sorry, but I don't have time for you. I beg your pardon, said the student. Look, Dave replied, I'll loan you some books on world religions. I can show you how I understand Christianity to fit into all of this and why I think biblical Christianity is true, but uh, you're just playing around. You're a dilettante. You don't really care about these things. You just, you're just goofing off. I'm a graduate student myself, and I don't have time. I do not have the hours at my disposal to engage in endless discussion with people who are just playing around. He turned to the second student. Why did you come? He says, I come from a home that people call liberal. He said, we, we go to the United Church and we don't believe in things like the literal resurrection of Jesus. I mean, give me a break. The deity of Christ, that's a bit much. But my home is a good home. My parents love my sister and me and we are a really close family. We worship God. We do good in the community. What do you think you've got that we don't have? So this is what he did. This is what he said. For it seemed like two or three minutes, Dave looked at him. <laughs> then he said, Watch me. Watch me. As it happened, the student's name, who was also Dave, and this Dave said, I beg your pardon? Dave Ward repeated what he had just said and then expanded. Watch me. I've got an extra bed. Move in with me. Be my guest. I'll pay for the food. You go to your classes, do whatever you have to do, but watch me. You watch me when I get up, when I interact with people, what I say, what moves me, what I live for, what I want in life. You watch me for the rest of the semester, and then you tell me at the end of it whether or not there's a difference. He says, uh, this Dave did not take up Dave Ward on, on the offer, literally, but began to watch him and meet with him, and the Lord drew him. Today he is serving as a medical missionary. Um, so, and this, I mean, we'd say a guy like that, he's pretty bold. That, to, to do something like that, and, and, and for me to say imitate me, it feels like I'm, I'm being proud. It makes me very uncomfortable to think about telling somebody, watch me, do what I do, imitate me. Now, I, I agree with Carson. I think if, if we're not ever doing this, now let me make this qualification. If you're a brand new Christian, I wouldn't go around saying imitate me, okay? Um, but, you know, if you've been, if you've gained some maturity in the faith, we should be saying these things. Watch me. You want to know how to pray? Watch me. Listen to me pray. You want to know how to study the Bible? Watch me as I study the Bible. You want to know how to, how to parent your kids? Watch me. Not as an arrogant, yeah, I, I am the, uh, the one who's got it all down. I have arrived kind of approach. No, but I'm imitating Christ in these ways. I'm not perfect, but I'm imitating Christ. So follow me. Because here's the thing. A lot of, we've got a lot of principles. We've got a lot of of the Word of God that uh, tells us what to do. And God has given us the gift of people who are, are doing that and living that out that put hands and feet to these commandments, right? I mean, how, how much have I learned from watching you, the people in this church, seeing what, how, how do I obey the commandment to nurture my wife, right? How do I, how do I obey the commandment to... Uh, Raise my kids in the admonition of the Lord, in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. How do I do that? 
God has given us the gift of the church as they're seeking to be faithful. We have these examples that put hands and feet to the commandments of Scripture. And so what a gift we have in the church of people to imitate. And we should be examples to be imitated. And I would say this. If this makes you uncomfortable, as it does me, okay, it may be because you know you're not a good example to follow. That might be the reason. Maybe because you know you're not a good example to follow. And so if that's the case, consider these two comforts and one exhortation. Okay? If that's the case, if you, if you know you're not a good example to follow, but you, but you are a believer, there's two comforts and one exhortation I want to give to you. First of all, from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. There is grace to cleanse you of your sinful failures. There's grace for that, right? There's grace for that. Look at 1.9 here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is a cleansing there for you. Go to God. Receive his fatherly forgiveness. We should be doing this every day, right? Lord, I've failed again. Please cleanse me. Please renew in me a right spirit. Right? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Help me to change. Forgive me, God. Cleanse me. There's cleansing for us. If you are not a good example, if you've been failing, there's grace for that. There's also grace for change. Okay? To repent, right? To, uh, we're not talking about perfection here, but uh, repent and draw near in faith. There is grace for us. Grace for us to be increasingly more transformed into the image of Christ. Because spend some time looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The culmination of that chapter in verse 18. Where he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Right? So we gaze into the glory of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. Right? Gaze into the gospel of Christ. We're being transformed more and more. Right? So there's grace for transformation. There's grace for, tra- for change. And I will, I'll point you to another text for that. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. You've, uh, you've likely heard verse 13, maybe not verse 14. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, right? If you're struggling with something, other people are struggling with it too, right? We're sinners. God is faithful, he says, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You'll be given the grace in the time of temptation that you need to endure that temptation and please the Lord in response to it, okay? And then in verse... 14, the commandment. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Isn't that great? God is going to give you an escape. He's going to give you the grace to endure this temptation. Therefore, flee idolatry. There's grace for you to change if you haven't been a good example for somebody to imitate. Now, here's one exhortation. There's two comforts. There's grace for the clen- to cleanse you from your sinful failures. There's grace for change. And there's this exhortation Strive, by God's grace, strive to be an example who can legitimately say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
Look at this. This is what, this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Is it a famous verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12? He tells him, let, one know, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example, right? Set the believers an example in your speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Let's all strive to be that kind of example for others to imitate. Again, this is not mean perfection, right? We say around here, it's not about perfection, it's about direction. Is your life directed toward Christ? And when you fail, when you, when you sin, because we all sin, are you running to our advocate, Jesus, our advocate, and remembering that we have been forgiven in Christ in a positional way, and at the same time seeking God's fatherly forgiveness because we know in Christ his arms are wide open to us if we'll run to him humbly repenting of our sins. We will receive that forgiveness. He's promised it to us if we'll come in repentance. And so it's not about perfection, it's about direction. Are you living by repentance and faith? Well, in seeking to be an example, there's something else I want to point you to. Another part of this exhortation, if we're going to be examples, we've got to know another thing as well. Turn with me to Second Thessalonians 3, 6-9. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6-9. Did you ever know there's so much about imitation in the scriptures? 2 Thessalonians 3, 6-9. Follow along with me here. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in yourselves an example to imitate. So tell me, Paul, we're talking about, uh, let's see here, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. How are they being an uh, an example to imitate for the Thessalonians? According to this text. How are they being an example to imitate? Brett? The following Christ, most definitely, in a, in a specific way. Yes. That's right, not being idle, but they were, they were working. Good. And um, he says, not that this was not our right. Okay, he says, he's saying, not that we didn't have the right to, to uh, eat, your, eat your food, right, to, to receive from you the things that we needed. Not we, that we didn't have that right, but we gave up that right, right, so that we would set an example for you to imitate. So, what we need to consider as we're striving to be examples for people to imitate is that we need to be prepared to sacrifice our rights. If we're going to be examples to imitate, we need to be prepared to sacrifice our rights. Because that's what Jesus did, right? Again, going back to Philippians chapter 2. I mean, th- this is just Paul being like Jesus. This is just Paul imitating Christ. 
Because Christ, he, he set aside, right, his, his glory. He left his glory. He left his heavenly privileges. He gave up his rights to come down and become a servant that would give his life as a ransom for many. And so that's what he's doing here. He's giving up his rights. And we need to give up our rights as well. If we're going to help each other follow Christ better, if we're going to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ and move toward discipleship in that way, think about rights that you could give up. Joyfully, glad, uh, gladly giving up rights so that you can show other people what's most valuable. Right? Now, consider this. You think, okay, are you just going to leave it there, Brent, an exhortation to, to give up my rights? I'm not going to leave it there. I want to remind you of an example. Um, you guys know the, the missionary, it's a, a missionary slash explorer to Africa, uh, David Livingstone, right? You know who he is? Uh, he has a famous quote. What's the famous quote? You guys know that famous quote? I never made a sacrifice. You ever heard, him, heard that quote? He said, I never made a sacrifice. I want to read you this, uh, this quote by David Livingston. It's in context. Uh, the, the, that quote is in the context of his explanation about what he's getting at here. Listen to what he says. Load, load, load. Okay, there we go. He says this. He, so he comes back from Africa after serving there. So for, for the gospel to, to be able to um, make headway, to, to travel to different parts of Africa. He says, for my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward and healthful activity? The consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver. And the souls to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. What does he mean? What does he mean I never made a sacrifice? What's he getting at? What do you think? There's, there's just gain. You know, we're giving up a little bit here on earth, but look at the glory that we'll get in eternity. Right? The reward. Look at this. This is, this is interesting. Look at uh, Mark 10. The, the sacrifices that we make right now, the rights that we give up, not worthy to be compared to what we'll receive in glory. Mark 10, 29 and 30. Have you ever considered this text? We need to give up our rights if we're going to set an example for people to follow in imitating Christ. But look at this. Mark 10, 29 and 30. Jesus said, 
Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and last first so he's saying there will be gain right you you've made sacrifices you're going to gain so much more that's what he's getting at you've made sacrifices you're going to gain so much more so when we understand what's waiting for us in glory, and that's the context in which David Livingston was, was making that statement, that these sacrifices aren't worthy to be compared to the glory we will receive, or the, the glory that will be displayed in us and for us. And when you understand that, it doesn't feel like sacrifice. It feels like a privilege instead. And so people are saying, oh, look what you've done for the gospel. You know, making a big deal out of you because you've given up this right or that right. Because you've made sacrifices to do things for, for God that other people aren't doing. Understand what we get. Doesn't feel like a sacrifice. Right? That is our God. And you think, okay, well, you're talking about reward, Brent. So am I just supposed to think about the reward that I'm going to get? And that's supposed to help me make sacrifices now, to give up rights now so I can set an example for, for others to follow? Well, I, I like the illustration that I think it was C.S. Lewis who used it first. I think John Piper talked about it later. But when we see that we're going to receive reward from God in some way, some kind of blessing, some kind of privilege from God for making the sacrifice and being faithful, it's like we're seeing the beam. Okay, There's, there, there's light coming in on the floor right here. It's like we're seeing the sunbeam. But that sunbeam is there only because there's a sun that exists, right, out in space. So what we are to do as Christians is when we know we're going to get reward of some, some type, if we, we know there's this privilege, there's blessing, there's some benefit that comes with, with sacrificing, follow the beam to the sun, Right? Take the beam and follow it to the sun. Dan, Pastor Dan just got through preaching. If you haven't been uh, to the service yet, I'm going to spoil it a little bit for you. But he's talking about how um, the reward, the, the gospel is God. God is the gospel, right? Um, we are forgiven of our sins so that we can enjoy God, so we can know him, so that we can glory in him. And so we should think, okay, yes, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice because of all the benefit and all of the blessing I'm going to get for making those sacrifices. But all those blessings and all those rewards, we should follow them up to the Son, right? To God, to His glory, to His righteousness, to the enjoyment of His character and His work, right? And then we think about these things, we meditate on these things, then it doesn't feel like a sacrifice, right? So, are there any questions? I'm going to turn to a kind of another part here of um, just explaining our, our discipleship ministry here at Calvary Bible Church for a few minutes. But any questions? Anything anybody wants to add? Okay, if, you, if you have any questions that you want to ask afterward, please come see me. I'd love to, to talk about this. And if you'd like to discuss it further, I'd, I'd love to have the opportunity. Okay. We don't have any more blanks here, but... Um, I'm, I want to talk about the four kinds of discipleship here at Calvary. We're, we're developing this, and you've heard us say 
that we should all be being discipled and discipling, right? In this church, we want to build a culture of discipleship. And what that means is that we should all be being discipled and be discipling on some level. It's going to fit in to one of these four categories, okay? So I just want to express what these are real quick and talk to you a bit about how we're going to be seeing this fleshed out more and more as we uh, get closer um, to probably uh, this, you know, this semester and this coming semester and the new year starting in January. We're going to be having uh, more of a cohesive structure of how to uh, keep track and maintain discipleship in our church um, from the leadership down, okay? So look at this, four kinds of discipleship. We're thinking about the most intense, we'll call this intensive discipleship, all right? And that's just biblical counseling. It's just our biblical counseling ministry, intensive discipleship. This is ministry which focuses on helping a counselee address a specific sin problem or difficult trial in his or her life. This ministry is of the more formal kind involving frequent meetings led by thoroughly trained counselors and assigned homework, okay? So that's intensive discipleship, biblical counseling. Right? Uh, there, and then there, what we, there's what we call traditional discipleship, okay? In the past, we've called this one-on-one discipleship, but it's, it's what we've kind of talked about. You know, you've got two people, you know, you've got a coffee table, you've got, you know, a dinner table, or you're at some kind of a restaurant, you've got your, your notebook, your Bible opened up, and uh, a more mature believer is helping a less mature believer uh, grow and change and become more like Christ in the various aspects of life. But it involves more of a, instead of, addressing specific sin problems like it would be in counseling where you're just dealing primarily with one issue. It would be more of a whole person discipleship, right? Uh, heart, head, hands, and home, that kind of direction in traditional discipleship. But that's not, I mean, those aren't just the only forms of discipleship we'd be, we should be thinking about. We also have life-on-life discipleship, which is less formal than the two above, but it doesn't, it doesn't include homework and meetings are not necessarily expected to be as frequent. Um, but essentially involves a more mature believer discipling a less mature believer through biblical instruction, right? Through encouragement and the example he or she sets as they engage in the routine things of everyday life, right? So it's, it's one believer saying, you know, if it's a lady, come over. I'm, I'm going to be uh, uh, teaching a homeschool class or a kind of a co-op class. I know you want, uh, you want as a young mom who's going to be homeschooling, I know you want to see some of how that, that works. Come and watch me, and then we'll spend some time afterward just kind of fellowshipping uh, in, you know, over some cookies or something like that. Or, or you know, there's a story I know about. Uh, it's, it's a book that's been written about a guy who fellowshipped, uh, I'm sorry, uh, who discipled another believer as they were uh, fixing up a Buick or something. I'm, probably not a Buick. It's probably better than a Buick. Um, I don't think you fix up Buicks, do you? <laughs> sorry. Uh, if you have a Buick, I'm sorry. Uh, I had a Ford for a long time. <laughs> it was a bad car. It was, it was, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> but they, they worked on a, a car. They, they worked on a car together over the course of months or a year. And as they were working on this car, he was discipling this person, life on life. As you're going through the everyday events of life, you're, you're seeking to give encouragement and instruction and be an Im- imitation or, or, I'm sorry, an example to be followed. And then there's spontaneous discipleship. This is discipleship that every member of CBC should be engaging in. Right? We should all be engaged in this kind of discipleship. It's discipleship in our Sunday morning conversations, 
right, before and after the worship service, if we're out of the playground, after Awana's over, uh, if we're on the phone, kind of just a random phone call in the middle of a busy week, right, those kinds of things, or, or um, hospitality in our homes. It's spontaneous discipleship, a discipleship we should be doing kind of on the go, and it manifests itself in qu- the questions we ask, the subject matter we choose to bring up with fellow brothers and sisters, and the example we set as we seek to help people follow Christ with more devotion. So, you should be involved in discipleship at some level, in one of these levels, okay? Um, and maybe it's just spontaneous discipleship. Maybe, that, maybe that's it. But if it is spontaneous discipleship, make it intentional, right? Decide that you're going to be intentional about the conversations you have in this more spontaneous discipleship kind of level, right? But don't just come and just receive from this church. Give too. Even if you're a new believer, you can say, hey, here's what I read in the Bible this week. This is, this is a great verse. I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot this week. And you're sharing that with maybe a guy who's been a believer for 40 years. Is that discipleship? Yeah, it is. Maybe, you're, maybe you've been a Christian for, for six months and you're talking to a guy who's been a, a Christian for 40 years and you're just sharing what you learned in the Bible that week. Is that discipleship? Absolutely. You know what? New Christians and their excitement and their passion, they're good for Christians who have been Christians for decades. The excitement and the vigor, they, they need that. They need, they need that enthusiasm. It's, it's influential. It helps to bring us into more Christ-likeness as we seek to be discipled and be disciplers. So you should be receiving, you should be giving in the process of discipleship on at least one of these levels, right? And that's what we're hoping that the entire church will uh, be engaged in. That's the culture of discipleship we're talking about here. And like I said, there's going to be a kind of a, a structure and a format that's going to uh, going to help us maintain this better and you should see more information coming out about that in the near future. Are there any questions about this before we end today? Okay. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, thank you again for this time. You are a good God. We are sinners, but you have redeemed us. We were your enemies, but now we are your friends. We were spiritual orphans, but now we are your adopted children through Christ, your son. God, please, may we help each other become more like Jesus. We need each other in that way, God, because you have ordained, you have planned that grace be given from you through each other to each of us so that we can be built up in love and so that we can be helped in our pursuit of Christ-likeness. May we be more obedient in this way by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.